Well, hello and welcome to our third podcast on rethinking trauma and transition. Today we're talking about, Ali? Well, we're going to have an overview of trauma. Um, We're not going to go into a great deal of depth here, but we are going to talk about the different types of trauma and um, a conversation about how the word trauma and the experiences of or how we, we make use of the term trauma and PTSD in everyday everyday language and conversation as well. Yeah, awesome. So probably uh, a good idea before we go any further further, wouldn't to just give a give a bit of a trigger warning to people if they are likely to be triggered by that, then either make sure they're somewhere quite safe and there's somebody present when they listen to it, or um you know maybe maybe you want to check the content of the the podcast before you listen further. However, we're not going to be going into any great significant detail about possible causes. We're just going to be giving an overview of timescales and definitions. Yeah, absolutely. And we are not here to diagnose. We're here to give information as well. Very much, yes. Yeah. So the first topic, isn't it, is what is and isn't trauma? So, and how the word is used in everyday life. Very much. Yeah. So people talk around and go, oh, I'm traumatised by like a fingernail being broken and things like that. So complete misconception of what the word means. I think very much. And and there's also a a growing use of the term PTSD Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't necessarily always fit the circumstances. And that's not to under underestimate somebody's experiences that's more about um i suppose being aware of what you're actually referencing when you use that term because i think sometimes because it is used so frequently that there's an underestimation and a and a reduction in terms of its impact yeah i was going to say it might trivialize somebody else's um problems or may seem to do so yes and i think it's that it's that reducing in terms of the size and the impact of it which which is where where i i find i struggle with that when i hear that word used so casually because mm-hmm. it's, it shouldn't be a word that's ever used so casually no no it's like people go around calling um athletes heroes and all that sort of stuff as well potentially well i think i think that that's that's almost in terms of it's very much context driven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The challenge that they've had, but that's also about recognizing when you are using the word trauma or you are using that phrase PTSD. Yeah. Very aware of the size of that because these aren't small words; they're big yeah. words. They have very big impacts on people, and if we minimize it, then that makes it more difficult for people to already have a very difficult conversation. Yeah, especially a lot of people who are potentially unwilling to come forward to deal with what their problem is. Yeah, and I think they may feel um, even more stigma by somebody else using those phrases and using those, that terminology to minimise what their suffering is. Yeah, and, and it's not uncommon for people to to mask and cover their experiences for years, decades even, yeah, yeah. because there's that that sense of stigma. <laughs> this is my experience. 
of not wanting other people to be aware of that or even not wanting them to 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 share in that experience of it because it's difficult enough for the individual to deal with yeah definitely and people also may consider the size and um look at the size of the trauma may not be what they considered massive but they may have had lots of smaller events that lead up to a big event that may be traumatic, whereas um, somebody may have just had quite a large, significant event and they may feel a bit diminished by that as well. Well, I like the phrase you used to describe that, Rich, which is almost feeling as though you're then then finding yourself competing in the trauma Olympics. Yeah. And that sense of, actually, is my experience significant enough mm-hmm. to merit this? Or or is that is that something that I actually almost should be ashamed of claiming when in actual fact the, the thing about that it's is it's always to remember that it's not about the size of the event it's the size of the response yeah and, and it's the impact that event has on that particular individual as well and also all the other people that that individual has regular contact with as well uh-huh. And I think this is important to bear in mind is that when we talk about trauma, when we talk about PTSD, complex PTSD, all of these affect not just one person, but every person they come into contact with. And sometimes those people that they're in contact with might not even be aware that that's the case. They just mm-hmm. are experiencing or witnessing certain behaviours that they might not understand, responses that they don't understand. And then they're they're struggling to to rationalize what's going on there and that again then adds the stigma that sense of withdrawal sense of isolation sense of being unable to actually talk about what you're experiencing yeah because it might be like oh uncle joey's playing up again and so yeah oh joey you know he's off doing this or he's she's off doing that yeah or you might you might see somebody who's who's very emotional who Mm -hmm. um, is quick to anger very irritable and you're putting that down to to mood and just personality but in actual fact there may very often be a very big underlying issue that has having a much bigger impact on them that they are masking and that all you're seeing is one element of that definitely without any further context as you say yes Yeah. yeah so in terms of that i think um when we look at the actual definition of the word trauma Trauma refers to either a physical wound, an injury, or a shock, and it's commonly used in all of those styles of conversation. And the ones that we're particularly interested in discussing here are the injury and the shock elements, because that's the ones that 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 are particularly relevant in terms of the psychological impact mm-hmm. on the individual. There's a physiological impact as well, most definitely, because yeah. that's quite often where that that experience is, is first initiated in terms of your adrenal responses, your cortisol, your glycosol, etc. But that then has a knock-on impact not only on the, the the biological systems of our body and our brain, but also is responsible for quite a lot of our experiences there too. And then there's the psychological damage that that happens with the individual as well in terms of their experiences in relation to their thinking, the re, re, re-experiencing all of those pieces. Yeah, well, I guess that could cause a potential 
rewiring of certain parts of the brain and how people start to rethink certain things, certain situations where they may normally have walked down um, a certain path or a certain area and they find that they can't go that way. They have to reroute to go a different, different way. Yeah, certainly a big part of um, those experiences are potential. One of the experiences was our avoidance behaviours. Mm -hmm. And that's where you will, the individual will actively seek to avoid things that they know will cause them a heightened response, a stress response, a fear or fight and flight response. And that that avoidance is can be a, can be a big marker within there too. But I think that's something that's probably worth putting a question out there for because I know that later on we are going to do a dedicated session talking about um, post traumatic stress, um. And actually, that might be worth asking whether or not it would be worthwhile for people if we actually broke that down to the specific elements of that. Some of the experiences within that, such as the hypervigilance, such as the avoidance mm. behaviours, yeah. you know, such as the, the hypervigilance, etc., and almost concentrating on a couple of those over a number of sessions. So there's a bit of a deeper dive into that in yeah. terms of what's actually happening with our thinking, how that's experienced, because there's a huge amount of very medical correct terminology to describe that but sometimes what's really helpful is is plain language language yeah. yeah so i'm just thinking we go back to that psychological harm and i wanted to circle back to that because i think it's really important to understand the size of the emotions that go with this mm -hmm. and when we talk about that psychological harm what we are talking about are really big emotions yeah. We're talking about really impactful emotions. We're not talking about a slight fright here. We're talking about big sense of fear. We're talking about extreme sense of helplessness. And mm -hmm. um, we're talking about really highly elevated senses of anger or rage. There's, yeah, horror, potentially flashbacks of revisiting that Um seen in the mind again and again and again and again mm -hmm. um, and maybe seeing scarring on the body or potentially even looking at someone who may appear to be similar to that person they witnessed beforehand the humiliation and, and survivors guilt and, and guilt along with that yeah and i think if we look at those three that you just mentioned that horror the humiliation and the survivor's guilt that horror in particular sometimes is it's such a big piece that it's is that sort of almost to almost sound overly dramatic, it's that soul deep horror. This is that kind of it strikes the very core of ourselves. Is that that inner sense of horror is a massive, massive thing. And that humiliation is the again the sense of that humiliation is the ones that make us feel really, really small. That, that make us want to curl in on ourselves because this isn't just a slight embarrassment. This is this is something really intense. And the survivor's guilt in there. Yeah, is, the question of why me? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's almost the two elements of there because I think there's, you can split that into guilt itself and mm -hmm. then survivor's guilt, which is a separate element. Definitely. You know, guilt where you're almost applying self-blame and responsibility for the action, the outcome, and the response to self. And that's not always accurate. And even if 
if there is an element of that within there, there's there's an element of conversation to be had about it. Yeah, and maybe guilt as well, Ali, where um, could, what could I have done to stop that? Massively, uh -huh, yeah. which comes back to that taking on responsibility for things and whether mm -hmm. or not actually that is your responsibility to own. Yeah. Sense of being able almost replaying those over and over again, looking for kind of different decisions, outcomes and choices that could have been made and then blaming yourself for not doing mm -hmm. those. Yeah. And then you've got the survivor's guilt. Yeah. And then shame as well. Yeah, being shameful of acting or not acting. Um, and yeah, and looking at how we somebody could have done what I thought was better in that situation. Mm -hmm. And again, that's massive because it's a judgment of self. Yeah. You know, that's 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 either the judgment of another or the judgment of self, but either way, the judgment is what's crippling. Mm -hmm. And that's it's almost like that continual self-punishment for the outcome and for the for the action and for the event. Yeah. And that's something we'll talk about later as well, is inner critics. Very much. Yeah. Yes. And how you might like to reframe and relook at those kind of things to reevaluate your thinking process. Well, I think when when we were when we were working with people experiencing these things, a big part of that is is understanding the voices we carry in our head and what we're not talking about here. We're not talking about psychosis. We're talking about those everyday phrases that we all have. Yeah. The inner judgments, the inner voices that where they've come from, whether or not they're still valid and what they actually mean in terms of our responses and our reactions to to everyday life and what we're experiencing now. And we gather those continually. What we've got to do is make decisions over which are relevant. Absolutely. And how powerful they can be in the thinking process. They can have a massive impact in yeah. terms of shaping our responses, shaping our sense of self-worth, shaping our sense of self-esteem and value. And all of those are huge in terms of that experience within PTSD as well, because a big element of that quite often, especially within complex PTSD, is that is that inner inner judgment, that inner shame, and that the impact that it has and that that value of self within there too. Definitely. Yeah. So, so is it talking about the difference in time scales? Yeah, just about to ask you about that. Mm -hmm. So we got the yeah. Well, I think there's a, a very there's a natural processing cycle mm -hmm. when we experience a traumatic event. Now, whether that's maybe the death of a loved one or whether it's it's something a, a lot more um a lot more out of keeping with the natural life cycles that we would experience, things that we wouldn't be able to anticipate or are out with the everyday common common garden experience. You know, whether that's maybe, for instance, a natural disaster or whether it's um, maybe an act of physical harm that you have experienced towards yourself or witnessed. Mm -hmm. Or whether or not this is something that maybe it could have been, for instance, where your house has been burgled yeah. or you've heard of somebody's house that's been burgled that's, that's, that's caused you to have a sense of, of threat and response in terms of your own vulnerability there. When we process trauma, it's quite natural within the first couple of days for us to have 
that almost re-experiencing of it, that that constant rethinking of it, because our brain's looking for a place to place this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It hasn't reached a decision yet on where this experience belongs in our repertoire of that. Yeah, and it takes time to process through. Well, the nervous system has to find its baseline again at some point, and so when people are in hypervigilance or feeling. Um, sorry, I've been hyper or hypovigilant, the hold of the nervous system and the thinking is completely out of tune with with itself. And yeah, so well, that's to find a way to settle and find a rhythm back back in. And I think I think that you have to keep in mind that actually when we experience a trauma, our body's natural response to that is that those flood of preparatory hormones in the endocrine system Mm -hmm. and it's they're all there for a purpose they're there to help us respond in terms of that fight flight freeze fawn and sometimes even flop they're there to prep our body for whatever emergency response is required of us and it takes a while for these to leave our system again yeah well you could think of it as um the literally a floodgates opening or the dams bursting over a riverbank and whole that land is being flooded, and it may take quite a while for that to be soaked up by the land, and then the riverbank to be formed again. So yeah, it smoothly. I think that's a lovely analogy, Rich. Because if you if you think about it, that's exactly what's happened: is our muscles and our bodies are flooded with emergency response yeah. chemicals and, and biology. And by the very nature of the fact that they are emergency response, they're not designed to stay in our system long term. Mm-hmm. Designed for that fast, immediate response and then the abatement of it, the withdrawal of the floodwaters, so to speak. Yep. And that means that you get some very immediate short-term responses. So um, things like you might find that you've got flushing of the skin, you might find that you've got you might find you've got the shakes and the tremors. You know, I mean, there are there are other experiences you have. Uh huh. Racing heart rate is another perfect example of one. Elevated rate of breathing, where you might find that you feel quite breathless because your body is trying to flood your system with oxygen. And the obvious ones is ready to run away. Yeah. Or uh-huh. ready to fight. Yeah. Yeah. So what it's trying to do is pump all of that readiness into your muscles, so that actually you're ready to respond, so that your muscles are inflated, mm-hmm. that they're engorged with blood, that your skin's engorged with blood in terms of that response. It's trying to get as much oxygen into your system so that you can respond accordingly. But that can all feel really, really unsettling. Yeah. Really unsettling. So, what are the kind of timescales that we are dealing with here, Denali? Well, you would generally tend to find that the those though that sense of things like the racing heartbeat, the elevated breathing rates, the the flushing of the skin, or feeling of the converse really, really cold and chilled, the tremors and shakes, those sorts of pieces, those what we would almost classify as the shock response. Mm-hmm. These are very immediate. These are probably one to three days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you would expect and, them to be even after that. Yeah. And so this is for Americans, isn't it? Is really so you've got the ASD? Yes. Yeah, so that lasts no more than um I don't remember rightly four weeks. 
Yeah, so yeah. normally that's they, they call that almost like the acute stress disorder. Yeah. And what you're looking at there is from three days to, to exactly that, four weeks. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. where you would, you would have things like the, the reimagining, the reliving, mm -hmm. and you might have some very, very vivid nightmares and dreams. You might find yourself feeling quite shaky, quite withdrawn, etc. Yeah. Yeah. And then anything after that over here, is or sorry in the states is classified as post-traumatic stress i do believe yeah yes. yeah yeah so what you're looking at is almost like a a, a series of escalation points in yeah. terms yeah. of the response and that's where when you when you have an experience of this nature actually it's quite normal for for, it, for your own body and your brain to take anything up to about three months to start to process that mm -hmm. through and what um, would be natural over that is to almost see a gradual abatement of those experiences and a reduction over that period of time. Yeah, and obviously, the sooner you can deal with it in that period of time, the lesser, or hopefully, the lesser effects will um, be depotentiated. Yes, because I think there's other there's also an element of um, our brains learning the trauma response. Mm -hmm. It's learning how to do that. It's almost embedding those those responses within our systems because they've worked damn hard and it's done a really good job. It's been really effective because your brain's thinking, actually, I've kept you alive. Yeah. And that's its sole purpose in life is to keep you alive. Well, that, yeah, that's what subconscious is there for, isn't it? To keep mm -hmm. you alive. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and therefore, if it's got a strategy that's an absolute winner for it, that's one, it. it's going to keep doing it. Uh-huh. And if it hasn't recognized, if you, you haven't processed that through and found a place to to associate that trauma and how to store that and how to process that through, then actually it's almost like that programming keeps running in the background because it yeah. hasn't recognized that the original event has ceased and you're no longer at risk. Yeah. And then people can use obviously things like self-soothing techniques as well. So drinking, gambling um sex addiction pornography you name it whatever is out there becomes un really unhealthy yeah there is there's quite a lot of of or a, you tend to see that present quite a lot in terms of that mm. overall experience because you're just this is that you're almost looking for that abatement of that experience for a while and it's that self-medicating and that can sometimes drive us to find outlets for the feelings that we've got for those feelings of shock for those feelings of of restlessness or that that hyper arousal piece just so to, sorry just potentially numb for a short period of time to get over what that thing is for a few minutes a few hours yeah or you get high risk behaviors which are yeah. about trying to alleviate the adrenaline rush mm -hmm. so yeah. actually if it's running through my system what do i use this for mm -hmm. yeah but so time scales are really important here when we're thinking about trauma yeah a good point you make is about how fast you seek assistance and support. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because... the sooner you recognise the symptoms or somebody else um, notices it in, in yourself, then it probably would be a good time to go and see someone. Very much, yeah. And that's about about first seeking help maybe with your with your general practitioner and you're speaking to your doctor. Mm -hmm. um, just so you can you can start to initiate those conversations. 
Yeah. Or even speaking to um, somebody like the Samaritans. Yeah, and I think there are a number of organisations out there, and when we start to kind of work through that for um, very specifically with PTSD, I'm sure we'll be referencing some of the, the organisations, certainly some of the veteran networks that are out there, because oh, I think it's important to be aware of the resources that are out there too. But I think this is also about, it almost comes with a, sen a common sense, sense check of give yourself time to process this through naturally. Mm -hmm. And that means that actually it's quite natural to have these experiences after that traumatic event for the first, especially for the first three days. Yeah. If these continue for a couple of weeks and you're not noticing an improvement, then you start to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. Because that short-term experience is when you start thinking of, of the trauma trauma response as being what they would class as acute. And that's that that four weeks to three month period yeah. and there are different terminologies you hear which is acute and chronic and what those reference are time scales mm -hmm. yeah so if you think about acute as being that zero to three months then the chronic is the three months and beyond and that chronic can be years if it's yeah. not addressed and it's not dealt with and you may have some experienced an event maybe obviously depending on how old you are say 10 years ago and it's not resurfaced and maybe 20 30 years down the road it's come up again and it may feel even worse than what it actually was because that's something we'll talk about in a future episode is memory and how memory is distorted over the time period and how accessing memories are never what the reality really was very much and i think the other thing which is is about that delayed response sometimes mm -hmm. is that if you look at the diagnostic specifications they would normally expect to see the onset of what they would class as post-traumatic stress symptoms within six months of the event i'm going to add one word in there to that description and that word is triggering so it's six months from the triggering event mm -hmm. And that's really important. And that comes, picks up in your point that you made excellently about the delayed response. Because quite often we might have experienced the original event that you would be classed as the as the, the point of horror, the point of trauma, but actually we've compartmentalized it. And it's not until yeah. we're re-triggered at, at a later date that we start to develop then that post-traumatic stress response. And that could be anything like um, an anniversary. It could be going back to that scene or going revisiting an area that looks maybe similar to what you experienced beforehand. Mm -hmm. Well, it comes back to the conversation you and I were having just um, a wee while ago, which we were talking about, for instance, like military mindset and and how um, that the things that you're aware of when you're on tour all of a sudden have a different context when you're mm -hmm. back in civilian life and sometimes it's switching off absolutely yeah. yeah and i think i think if you are struggling who's um so who can we call ali good friend well yeah uh-huh i think the first and foremost thing we would always encourage is 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 Start, start talking about what, what you're experiencing 
yeah. don't be scared to start to open up and have those conversations because actually you might find that you're not the only one. Yeah. And more often we find when we're working, particularly when we're working with veterans, when they start to open up to the people around about them, that's when they suddenly find there are other people going, actually. You're not alone. You're not alone. And I can have this conversation now too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So make sure it's someone make sure it's someone you trust and they're not going to gossip about at all. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that's but that's also recognizing that that trust your instincts on that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And if there's if there's nobody immediately around about you that you feel open to have that conversation with, then reach out, for instance, to a medical professional. Yeah, yeah. Even um the priest, whatever your religious denomination is, I don't think it matters. They would, I'm sure, they'd be more than happy to help. Yeah, uh huh. And I think the important part is starting that conversation. Yeah. And if you, if once you start that conversation, once you've actually started to open up, then that's when all of a sudden you may well find that there's more resources and more support available for you than you may Definitely. be realised, because that's the important part. Yeah, you're not alone. And we've also got, as I mentioned earlier, the Samaritans, and the number is 116123. That is 116123. Yeah, very much. And worst comes to the worst. And if you feel that you are in crisis and you can't get through either to a friend, a loved one, or to your, your GP and you can't wait, then please, please, please go to your accident and emergency unit. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you very much for listening. Yeah. So is that um is that our, our normal bye for it's goodbye from me? That's goodbye from him. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Good night. Yeah, where are we now?